Hey, welcome to the Knowles 24-7 podcast. This is Brendan Sinone. Joining me today, Bob Ferrante, Chris Snee. Uh, and it's been a week since Willie Taggart has been hired or officially announced as Florida State's head coach. I did want to say that and then have everyone scream and panic because there hasn't been a commitment yet, but Chris Snee told me that would be disingenuine. So this is a, a look behind the curtain. I'm mad at Chris right now. He's he's made me feel fake, and, uh, and I'm all up in my feelings. So uh, on the docket today, listen, guys, it's been uh, a lot since Willie Taggart's been hired, but but nothing concrete has happened on the recruiting trail, but there is stuff to, to go over. We're going to have Chris talk about that. This is kind of a of a primer, if you will, because uh, we're going to have Newberg on, I think, maybe later in the week to to go more in depth on, on coaching buzz you know, for, for hiring assistants on recruits. But we do want to have Chris go over that. Uh, we have Bob trying to – Bob's going to talk about some stories that we've written on Willie Taggart as we kind of get to know, you know who Willie Taggart is, who Florida State's coach, you know, what, what makes him tick. Uh, and then we have a bunch of questions from you guys to go over and, and kind of address. So it's going to be kind of a housekeeping type of episode here. So let's start off with recruiting. Again, no commitments, but a ton is happening. Uh, Willie Taggart has really hit the ground running, and, and there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of stuff happening right now. Yeah, I would say the target of the last seven to ten days so far for Willie Taggart has been figuring out who is on the board that he wants to keep on the board, who is committed that he wants to keep committed, and who they're walking away from. We've seen that this week. He's been visiting mostly commitments, former commitments, top targets. He's been very you know, precise with where he goes immediately in the area with Mari Gaynor. Excellent one to walk up. He basically acts as a recruiting coordinator for you. He's going to be a vocal guy. He's going to be talking to prospects you want, commitments you want, things like that. He's kind of an additional guy on your staff if you walk him up. They got that done day one, mm-hmm. night one. That they, smart. That was they, really, really smart yeah, move. Yeah. They went up to Georgia, saw Christian Meadows, Big Ugly, who's still committed, but looking at Miami and Florida, working to keep that one shirt up. Uh, Christian unofficially visited Florida last weekend. He's still looking at Florida Miami to some degree, but I think FSU sits in a pretty good spot with him. Christian Armstrong, early enrollee, early signee, went in, saw him, made sure that thing's put to bed, which it is. He'll be here. They also swung by to see Trey Hill, which was basically – we're in the area, might as well go see him. But he committed to Georgia yesterday, as was long yeah. expected. FSU trailed in that one for months behind Georgia and Auburn. Then he came back to the Sunshine State. He's kind of worked his way all around and down. He went to Daytona, saw Demarcus Adams, made it clear with John Huggins they're not going to recruit him. They cut bait with Stacy Kirby, a guy who doesn't need to be in this class. He's not talented enough to play at Florida State. You know, you don't bring a kid just to bring him in, and you don't have to. It's a business. There's going to be hard feelings. I get that. Rick Triggett handled it as well as you can. He walked in, told the kid to his face. They did that. They're moving on. You know, you drop a guy like that, defensive end, a position of need, you immediately see him go to Armwood and talk to Malcolm Lamar, an Oregon commitment. They've locked up an official visit for this coming weekend. Malcolm Lamar is a drastic upgrade from Stacey Kirby. Now you just got to seal the deal and close that. Big, big fan of his. Yeah, and for, for example, this weekend they got, I believe it's five official visits that we have on the docket right now. You know, and one of those is Robert Cooper, not a guy they went up to Georgia to see locked up. That was big to lock him up. You're yeah, the guy at Alabama you're talking about knocking Especially if you're going to run a 3-4, he's your natural, you know, nose, yep. stick it in the ground kind of guy. So you go in, you handle that. Tennessee with Pruitt going there was getting involved. Bama, Georgia had already been involved. You kind of put those things to bed. You make sure Coop's going to stay there. Him and Odell looked like old friends. In that, that, that was a great that picture. picture. Yep, yeah, that was, that uh, picture tells you he's a 1,000% null, as he said. Um you know, him and Christian Armstrong are coming in this weekend. I expect Amari to be on campus, even though it's not going to be an official visit. Then you got Malcolm Lamar, Warren Thompson, former Oregon commitment from Armwood, who he's trying to close the deal on. And Did Isaiah, Malcolm decommit 
from Malcolm Warren? did. I'm okay. sorry, Warren Thompson. Warren, okay, okay. Yes, Warren Thompson's decommit. Malcolm has yet to decommit. You got both of them coming in. Isaiah Bolden, a former Oregon commitment from the Sunshine State, coming in. So those are three guys that you can look at and say there's an excellent chance that they follow Willie Tagger to FSU. You'd be kind of surprised if if all three of those didn't pop after this weekend, right? right? Yeah. I, I, well, I don't know about immediacy, like of doing it this weekend. You know, I, I think Warren keeps talking about wanting to take some other visits. Bolden's talking about trying to slow down. But at the end of the day, those three are going to be Seminoles, yeah. more likely than not. So you're looking at 10 commitments currently. They'll probably cut bait with another one or two. I think Chaz Neal and Charles Strong are probably your two most likely guys they walk from. So you're at eight. You add the three this weekend. That gives you 11. I think there's a chance of a couple more guys coming in this weekend, some uncommitted. So you might see it inflate to 12 or 13, and then you roll into the early signing period, December 20th. So it's been you know hyperactive, rushed, but it's been organized yeah. and made sense what they're doing. Their goal is to have 10 to 15 commitments when December 20th arrives, sign as many of those as they can sign that want to sign. Not everybody has to sign at that point. And then when uh, January rolls around after January 11th out of the dead period, over those final three weeks leading to National Signing Day, they'll focus on the final 10 to 15 spots that they need to fill. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like trying to splice your class in half to make your workload on the back half easier than your workload if you don't lock things up on the front end. So that's kind of where we're at right now with recruiting. For people, because this is new for all of us, the early signing period, uh, December 20th, it begins. And for, yeah. for you guys, we literally just posted, or Chris just posted, a, a, a nice kind of preview of the dates you need to focus on for the early signing period, um, everything kind of leading up to it. But, but nationwide, from like recruits that you're talking to, what is kind of the percentage? Like, how many how many kids are signing this early signing period? Like for big like Power Five programs, like how much of classes are going to be filled up? There's people throwing out percentages like 85 percent. I think that is a little absurd. I don't think it's going to end up that high. I think some schools, you know, for example, Clemson and Ohio State schools that have a lot of commitments, a ton of stability. Stability with the coaching. They're going to lock up a vast majority of their classes. But there's a lot of schools going through transitions. FSU is obviously one. Oregon's one. Tennessee's one. There's plenty of other examples. Their percentages, I think, are going to be drastically lower. Mm -hmm. You know, it might be 40 50% of their class, 10, 12 kids, partly because they don't have that many commitments at this point and because they're also figuring out their recruiting boards at this point. So nationally, I don't think the average will be, you know, what it looks like for basketball. With basketball, basketball, for those that aren't familiar, already has two signing periods. A vast majority of kids sign in the early period. But basketball's accelerated a great degree. Football doesn't have that luxury because – Basketball's early signing period comes within a season, so everything seems completely stable. Mm -hmm. Football's early signing period comes literally in the most unstable portion of the football calendar from a coaching standpoint. So I think there's going to be a lot of kids that wait. You saw Jalen Waddle come out yesterday. He's already taken his five officials. He was going to sign on the 20th. He said he's going to wait. I think you're going to see a a lot of national kids kind of hit pause and just take it to February. There, there's no reason unless you're 100% done to a school and you fully understand the situation you're walking into to sign early. You lose all leverage. It's idiotic for kids to do it. If they're going to do an early signing period, it needs to be truly early. It needs to be, you know, August or September 1st. Allow kids to take summer officials if they're in a position to do so and do that. I mean, right now, I just I, I think the percentage will truthfully be nationally more around 50 than mm-hmm. the 75, 80 that some people like to throw Interesting. out. Interesting. And the whole NLI thing, like, that that always hurts. It only hurts the, the player, the recruit, to sign it. Like, like if, you're a real, if you're a blue chip kid, just don't even sign it. Yeah. It would be, I mean, just go to the school that you say you're going to go to, but it only it's a binding contract on your end. There's nothing the other way around that's typically binding. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, so that's the recruiting stuff for now, guys. Like I said, we're going to get more in-depth and go really nitty-gritty into it. 
uh, hopefully later the week before or later this week before the you know first uh, slew of official visits. Uh, but that's kind of a, a table setter, if you will. So that's Willie Taggart and kind of his approach to recruiting. Like Chris said, it's logical. You can see the progressions of where he's going right now, and this is a really rushed period for him. Uh, and he's been on the road almost every single day since taking the job. I think he was back in Tallahassee one day to watch a bowl practice. Yeah, he watched the first day of bowl practice, and from what I understand during that time, he sat down with Odell and some of the other people tied into recruiting here and kind of mm-hmm. looked at the board, took a you know a large look at the entire board mm-hmm. and kind of went there and tried to figure out who do I want to keep on this board? Who is somebody I want to wear Garnet Gold for me? Mm-hmm. And then he started also adding names. He saw the offer to Trishawn Harrison out in Seattle, for example. Yeah. Yesterday we saw Wood Bay, Ohio State commitment getting offered. California. Those are some big-time offers at positions mm-hmm. that are guys that Willie wants that the previous staff was not involved with. So we've seen that trickling out. I think you'll see a lot of that during the dead period. Dead period starts Sunday and goes until January 11th. Or I'm sorry, it starts Monday and goes till January 11th. Uh, Sunday's a what they call a quiet period where contact <laughs> on campus is allowed, but that's it. Also stupid. So I think when kids don't sign the 20th to the 22nd, you're going to see a lot of new offers go out from FSU mm-hmm. and the board really be redefined. And when he has a staff in place when January comes, I think you're going to see them phase two of their recruiting process is really going to hit the ground running. Because right now phase one is really Willie trying to make sure the kids that already, already wanted to be Seminoles or were recently Seminoles – Letting those that he wants to be part of his class know that and letting those that he is not interested in know that, too, because it's only fair to the kid. All right. So that's a little bit about Willie Taggart, you know, as a recruiter. Now we're starting to kind of put, you know, pieces together in the puzzle of, of what he is as a coach. We're talking about scheme stuff, uh, philosophies. Uh, and so part of that is we try to kind of piece that together because he has such an eclectic background uh, and he's changed so much from from stop to stop. It's a little difficult, but uh, but you know, Bob and I have both spent the last week trying to do different features and, and talk to different people from Willie Taggart's past. So, so Bob, I'll kick it over to you here to talk a little bit about what you did, and you went real real far back into into Willie's past. It was really interesting to talk to you know people who have met Willie when he was 17, 18 years old, and got to see him develop through those formative years in college. And you know, Jack Harbaugh is one of those names where you may not know. Jack, but you know the, the last name. He was the father of, of Jim and John. They've faced off in the Super Bowl. You know, these are guys who have been in coaching for decades. And, and Jack was kind of, he's got a kind of an interesting coaching tree. And, and Willie's part of that coaching tree because, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the story has been kind of documented, but, but we got to talk to Jack. And, you know, Jim was a volunteer assistant coach, unpaid at Western Kentucky when he was still the quarterback of the Bears. And, and, and John was able to provide a list of some names to recruit in the Southeast. And literally, Jim's first stop, the first name at the top of the list, was Willie Taggart of mm-hmm. Bradenton Manatee High School. And, you know, as Jack even said, it sounds crazy, but that was the name. And, you know, it's, it's, really, it's really cool. It's, it's been a fun relationship. Um, Willie is kind of considered like a son in the Harbaugh family. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things I didn't even get in the story, but... But Jack said he had a, had a heart attack a year, year and a half ago, and all of a sudden Willie and Tanisha just show up on the doorstep to spend a weekend with him. Mm-hmm. They bring the family. They they wanted to spend time to see Jack, and so it's a really, really close relationship that the whole family has. And I think one of the messages that that Jack really got across is how good Willie is as a recruiter. That he was a recruiter even in college as a you know freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. They set him up with the recruits that they wanted to bring to Western Kentucky. 
He was the host. <laughs> he was the guy who had the charisma and the leadership to bring those guys and really to bring Western Kentucky from a program that was struggling that could have been suspended in the early 90s to one of the top 16 teams in Division One AA. And, and Taggart really transitioned from player kind of seamlessly into coach, into play caller. He was the offensive coordinator. He was the play caller on that 2002 national championship team. Mm-hmm. Jack said he called every single play. So we, we kind of see at an early age, the guy was a recruiter. He was a connector. He was a guy that made the pieces fit together and, and kind of made that program click at Western Kentucky. And you mentioned something there, Bob, that, that kind of struck me is is so when, when Jack Harbaugh has a has a heart attack and, and Willie goes and sees him right away, like there there's something about Taggart. You know, I talked to uh, Justin Haddix, who was you know one of his first quarterbacks. It was I think the first guy he really recruited uh, at Western Kentucky when he was there as his first stint as a coach and uh, and really really made a commitment to him. Started him as a true freshman, played him all four years. Um, and, you know, when, when Justin you know becomes a father. Willie's one of the first people to, to touch base with him and congratulate him. Uh, so there's something there, and he, he you know, just mentioned, you know, genuineness uh, with Willie, and, and, you know, listen, every coach is going to have, you know, their, their coaches, so they're going to burn some bridges along the way, and they're going to make friends along the way too, uh, but it seems like he keeps a really close inner circle, um, and, and people that he's close with, he he maintains those relationships with. Uh who is the Chris, who's the Bradenton High School coach? Our manatee, Joe... Joe uh, Kinnon. Kinnon, and that's a guy who... Who a legendary coach at Bradenton, one of the you know winningest programs in the state of Florida, uh, and he's a guy that stuck with Willie that went to his staff at USF and helped him really implement a lot of the option stuff that served him really really well when he was on the verge of, of maybe losing his job uh, and stuff that he took over with him to Oregon and that we believe he'll take with him to uh, Florida State as well. Uh, so guys that you you know you could tell that there's a clear defined coaching tree for Willie Taggart. There's people that he trusts and and as we start getting into coaching hires and I think we'll start seeing a lot of that. After Oregon's bowl game, which is what December sixteenth or seventeenth, okay, I think you're gonna see a lot of familiar names and guys that he's stuck with him in his inner circle is going to be evident here in Tallahassee. Yeah, something that stood out to me with the two stories you guys produced, Bob with the coaching tree and Brendan with the players that have played under Willie, is that it's pretty clear he is a Willie Tagger is an individual who is very comfortable with loud voices in the room, powerful mm-hmm. voices in the room. He almost welcomes it, and that's something we heard during the process of deciding on Willie Taggart as Florida State's next head coach, that people use the term CEO type. I don't view it as that. CEO types me or more. They kind of tell what tell other people to do things and sit back. Willie's very, very involved. But I think Willie's ultra comfortable on both sides of the ball of having strong voices within the room that have an opinion on what you're going to do and how you're going to do it and how you're going to go about doing it, and that he'll take those voices and implement things they're telling him. I think that's important. I think Willie's only 41 years old. Well, he's quite the veteran of being a head coach for a man who's only 41 years old. He's still learning on the job. And I think he's very comfortable being somebody that still learns on the job. I think that's important in growth. When you're given a new roster of a new level of talent that you've not previously experienced in your coaching tenure, you're going to be learning some new things. You're going to be able to do things you've never been able to do before. And I think he's going to go out and hire people that fit around him well, like the people that he used to fit around mm-hmm. as an assistant. So I think that's just pretty important. That was an observation I had and just want to throw it in there. No, that's a, that's a good point, Chris. T- to change, um, the, the, the biggest the biggest impetus to change is to admit that you need to change or at least understand that there's there's things you can do to change. And, and change sometimes has a negative connotation. It just means evolving. It means being different. Um, 
that was something that, for all the strengths of the previous regime uh, with Jimbo Fisher, just didn't change a lot. Uh, and sometimes there, there's a, a need to evolve. So I think that's something that's exciting about Willie Taggart uh, is, is that he that's one thing that consistently, even when the players that I talked to, guys who played for him at Western Kentucky, uh, guys that played for him at USF, uh, you know, some of them have gone on into the NFL uh, without me even having to prompt it uh, necessarily, you know, talk about his adaptability. Um, and that's not just scheme-wise. It's a guy who can adapt to the different situations. You talk about a school like Western Kentucky, that it was at the time transitioning from you know, Division One AA to 1A. Uh, you talk about USF, and they had to completely regut because Skip Holtz you know, burnt that thing to the ground and, and then realized they weren't maximizing their athletes. He changed that. In Oregon in a year, he changed the culture completely, uh, took a team that was relatively lethargic and, and didn't have great direction and really sharpened them. And we're starting to see little glimpses of that here at Florida State with, I think, the way he's going to start uh, changing you know, the way you know, weightlifting is done with the offseason condition, all that stuff. I think you're going to start seeing that change. Uh, and he's and he's able to to identify it quickly and then, and then make a make concerted efforts to change. That that's important. That's the name of the game uh, if you're a coach. I think another thing to point out with Willie that came across in those stories, he's not he's always out to prove himself, but he doesn't become obsessed with proving himself. He kind of goes with the flow naturally. He does his job, and the proof is in the pudding. Uh, I forget the player's name. Haddix. Is yeah, that yeah. I mean, that's an excellent example of it. He told him, I'm going to stick by you, mm-hmm. and he did, in every which way and form, and it took its shape in the production that Addicts had on the field. Yep. And I think that is kind of, you know, what Willie has done. We saw that at USF. He he transitioned to be better for the players that he had at his arsenal, mm-hmm. in his arsenal, and it paid off for him with production on the field. So he's very much a roll-with-the-punches guy, but I don't feel like – some people are out to always say something and then prove something. I think Willie just kind of – lets it play out in a process, but it works. But he is a man of his word. If he says mm-hmm. something about things, it comes true. That would be the track record up to this point. And, and you mentioned, Chris, you know, his ability to um, to kind of uh, listen to other voices. You look at the hires he made at, at Oregon that, that were so interesting. Like you hire Mario Cristobal, guy with head coaching experience, and the guy who ends up becoming the head coach at Oregon after Willie left. You meant, you know, Jim Levitt. Um, you know, those are guys that had head coaching experience and that could be intimidating uh, for a younger coach, and especially that's Willie Taggart's first Power 5 job at Oregon, and he doesn't have a ton of experience even, you know, he, I mean, he has the experience at, at USF, but that he was, like, close to being fired after uh, two years. Um, you know, so a guy that doesn't have is just this huge parachute and is willing to say, okay, I'm, I'm bringing in these, these voices and I'm going to empower them to do what they do best, and that, that has worked out for him so far. Chris, you fidgety. Recruitment, recruiting man, it never stops. Oh, is that I'm, where you're I'm doing? over here uh, DMing. Slide, Slide into, into the, the DMs. DMs. Woo! Um, but yeah, so I think that's stuff that we're starting to kind of find out about Willie Taggart. The things that I think that we believed to be true, what, that we heard about Florida State, you know, Florida State from from that side during the hiring process, uh, is checking out. Uh, which I guess when you're trying to learn about a coach or learn about a person what you've heard and you cross-reference it to see, you know, with people that, that know that person. Um, it's been interesting. It's been telling. Uh, and it, it's fun for me. And I could, I could say that, you know, honestly, it's, it's been fun to get to learn something new and in the process of learning something new. Like I'm trying to start going back and looking at, you know, tape of, or, or just games, not actual tape, but just games of Willie Taggart's at Oregon. I'm going to go back to USF. Like that's fun. It's, it's different. All rejuvenated. Chris is happy now. The RBF is gone. He smiles now. He looks happier. 
Bob's kind of steady Eddie, but I think I think my happiness is really putting you into a bad place. Uh, like you're you're uncomfortable with it because yeah. the time you've worked with us at this specific website, we've known each other much longer, obviously. But I've always been kind of a well dick. Yeah, I mean that's not men's words. I've not been an enjoyable human being every day to be around. <laughs> but you know, the last couple of weeks have been they've been good. It's the honeymoon phase. Some of it will wear <laughs> off, but I'm in a pretty good place and. It's nice. Yeah. Plus, I hey, it's kind of nice. I have something to do. Like, doing the recruiting stuff the last two weeks, I've done more of that in the last two weeks than I did the vast majority of the last four months. Man, so, and that that's weird. I that? oddly enjoy to work. <laughs> like, I'm not one of these people that – I get kind of bored out of my skull if I'm not doing Well, yeah, you're a grinder, and so you're just kind of floating around aimlessly for a month and a half there with, with – some someone just screaming at us all the time, which isn't isn't, isn't it's just a fun place to live. Yeah, I'm having a hard time with you being happy because that's just not what I'm used to, and it's disrupted my uh, my flow and how I perceive you. So sorry, anyway, man. Anyways, no, I mean I think overall it's a good thing. It's just adjustment. We're changing. Like I'm 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 changing. And I'm adapting to. I'm Willie Taggart running a pro style offense at USF. I need to adapt a little bit. So, all right, let's go to questions. We good? We want to go to questions now. All right, we're here for the people. We are. We are. You guys had a lot of questions and. and a lot of it's going to be hypothetical stuff. Like, I think, I mean, we're, this is us projecting from what we are learning still, but, you know, this is going to give us our best shot. Now, I haven't gone over all of these, so we're workshopping them here. So, anyways, first question from Knowles1987. God, I love that I get to read, the, read these names. Do you want to do this, Chris? No, no. Okay. I, I enjoy watching you. Yeah, you just rather shit on me for not doing it correctly. <laughs> all right, so uh, each one of you guys should pick a player that you believe has good talent and will benefit the most from the coaching changes. Either side of the ball either by scheme, uh, dealing with new coaches, or just uh, opportunity on the field? So that, that's a good question. Hypothetical on, on who we think benefits from either a fresh start or you know, just, just a scheme shift. Bob looks like he's thinking, but I don't need to think offensively. LeBorn or Matthews, I mean, they're both guys that can do a lot of different things, mm-hmm. get them the ball. You know, Willie's pretty simple. He wants to score points. Those are two guys that can light up a scoreboard. And both of them are completely neutered and worthless. Oh, sorry, are, 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 you, are, you, are you implying that the previous regime well, no, did a poor I, job no, of no, utilizing I, I have processed <laughs> the previous regime. I have moved on completely. I'm just saying those two are going to be allowed to showcase the talent that they do truly possess. They're mm-hmm. both very special players. Defensively, I think it depends somewhat upon who they hire on that side of the ball. Yeah. I'm going to work with the belief that it still will be Jim Levitt, even though I don't think that's a slam dunk. I still think it's the most likely possibility. That would probably take him like versus the field right, right. now. Yeah. He loves wrong. really athletic linebackers. So Josh Brown's a guy that I've always been uh, a fan of, yeah. and we just haven't really seen. And Josh Josh checks a lot of boxes. He has a great work ethic. He's an excellent teammate. He's a hardworking kid. He's smart, and, and I mean on and off the field. He gets football. like He can process things. Jim loves really athletic linebackers. I think Josh is a guy that might break out under if that's Jim Lovett is a DC. One. So that's there you go. Real good one. I like it. And like Josh, like they didn't seem to know where to put Josh Brown. Like that's well, part of my biggest they, issue with the They used him like Jacob Pugh, but here's the issue. Those are really talented players that they use as specialty players that they don't yeah. get on the field for enough freaking snaps. Yeah. Yep. No, you're right. That, they, my iPad even agrees with me. We got the ding at the perfect who time. Who is it? Is it Justin Fields saying no, that he's In this a, case, it's my wife. Oh, so you're not really talking to recruits. You're lying to us. No, I'm talking to many people. Bob? <laughs> I'm going to save this one. Tamari and Terry is a guy I'd like to see on the field a little bit more, too. Kind of was the Auden Tate light in in the preseason. We saw a lot of capabilities where he could uh, he could run down the field, smooth route runner, mm-hmm. make the catches in traffic. I, I really like Tamari, and I, I kind of curious to see where his career goes. You know, on defense, I just think from purely from a talent standpoint and 
at the safety position where they lose so many guys, Hamsa. Hamsa yeah. makes a lot of sense just because Derwin's gone, Trey Marshall's gone, you know, Ehrman was on defense, now on offense, he's gone. They need to find a safety that they can count on. I think they know Hamsa is developing into that kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Again, whatever defensive coordinator comes in, he's going to have to find some guys with a little bit of experience, guys they can trust. Hamsa feels like one of those. Turn off the damn ringer! I am. All right. He just waved, he waved me off. How can I? There's ringing. Anyways, um, I'm going to kind of steal off of both of you guys. I think a linebacker is probably going to you're going to see the jump. One, because of opportunity. Like, you know, Roderick Hoskins, Matthew Thomas, Jacob Pugh, gone. So there's obviously going to be a need for playing time. But if it is Jim Levitt, like we were thinking, um, I think it's either a Dontavious Jackson, maybe a Leonard Warner. It could be Josh Brown, but I think those big, rangy linebackers, like a Leonard Warner really, I think, would, would do really well under Levitt because he's he's big, he is rangy, uh, and he didn't get a ton of snaps this season. I understand there was yeah, a lot of experience ahead of him, uh, but I thought he played well and showed well in the, in the time he maybe had like 40 or 50 snaps this season. Uh, so I think someone with a linebacker, especially if it is Levitt, like he's a line, like he was a linebacker coach in the NFL. That's kind of his bread and butter. Um, I think that's a substantial upgrade from what they currently have at that position, coaching wise. Uh, so a linebacker on offense, I'll steal your Bob Tamari and Terry. I think if um, I'll put it this way, I think the pre, I think this Oregon staff's going to like big bodied receivers. Is going to like guys that have a lot of uh, you know big catch radius. I think that's a guy like Tamari and Terry is going to get opportunities. Uh, and I think Willie Taggart likes guys. I mean, he's going to want to push the ball a little bit, you know, and, and kind of to to go along with uh, the RPO stuff that they're going to do and a lot of the shorter passing. Uh, a big vertical threat like a Tamarian Terry makes sense. So, uh, yeah, I, I think kind of what we're all saying here is, you know, uh, some improvements to the defensive coaching staff should help a lot of those, you know, younger underclassmen out, especially at the second level there. Offensively, Ability to get young guys to football is something that this coaching staff can do, will do. Um, Next question. All right. From <laughs> T-, T Boston 99, who wins the quarterback position next year between Francois and Blackman? T Boston, your guess is as good as me. <laughs> I do know Willie Taggart really liked Blackman. When they had him as a recruit yeah. and they had him in for camp, he intrigued the hell out of him. I know Blackman may have a belief that he doesn't fit what Willie will do, but I think Willie will do what his quarterback fits best. I think, as we've already spoken about on this podcast, he's willing to change it. Uh, with Francois, it comes to how much he comes off that knee injury, what player he's like. I mean, that was a pretty devastating injury. Mm-hmm. He's probably going to miss the spring with it because of it. Um, that will obviously set him back a bit. He won't be able to kind of get a feel for the new system, at least hands-on. So I think it will be interesting. If I had to pick one, I'd probably lean Blackman, but I'm not convinced of that. Yeah, I'd probably lean DeAndre but the injury is a huge factor here, too. I, I don't think he's going to get that spring, and we have to underline this spring is really important, not just for the freshmen and the sophomores, the young guys. It's for everybody. Everybody's got to make an impression. Impression. Everybody has to learn the offense, learn how to execute it. I I just think, you know, DeAndre, we, we can't expect DeAndre to be anywhere near 100%. Not in, in the spring. In, let's say the, yeah. the first week of March or whenever yeah. they're going to end up starting spring practice. It, it is a good problem to have. You have two experienced quarterbacks They've got essentially a year of playing time under their belt. As Chris said, though, your guess is as good as mine. Yeah, that that that's com- this is all complete projection on our part. Um, and I would guess that you know at this point, Willie Tiger doesn't have a great great idea of who his quarterback's going to be. Can I say JJ Cosentino? Please don't. Okay. 
I, it is going to be a clean slate, though. So for a guy like, like I'm interested to see like what Bailey Hawkman, he's a guy that can move around in the pocket. I, I think they're going to go with experience and go with the upside, and that's a guy with a big arm like James Blackman or you know DeAndre Francois, who again has experience, has the big arm uh, upside. But I'm interested to see what kind of shakes out in the spring and if, if someone like, like a Bailey Hawkman that didn't get a chance uh, does you know, at least get an opportunity there uh, if he's fully healthy. Uh, but right now, I'm going to lean James Blackman. I think he's a guy, like Chris said, that, that Willie Taggart was really interested in. He has a year of experience. Um, and here's the thing is, like, you know, different quarterbacks, Willie Taggart has shown an ability to work with pocket passers. He's shown an ability to work with more mobile guys, uh, blending the two. So, you know, accuracy is going to be a big point, big part of what he wants. He's going to want to have a lot of, you know, short underneath stuff. That's what he's done the last couple of years. Um, you got to be able to push the ball downfield. Uh, but more is going to be a lot of, you know, who can be more accurate on the intermediate and, and middle of the field stuff. So that's going to be a big part of, of his offense. I'm kind of assuming and operating under that that assumption. Uh, FSU 1995 asks, who are some players you think will perform well in the new offense? Well, um, we kind of already went over that. I mean, I think Cam Akers is going to yeah, be a lot of I fun think, to watch. I think the that. running backs will excel yeah. in it. Um, I think that it's a system that the run is going to set up the pass in a lot of ways, and they're going to kind of let those guys go. So, yeah, I definitely think that. I, I also think – it will help the offensive line. I think it's going to be a little less complex from a blocking scheme standpoint. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a little more quick action, quick trigger, mm-hmm. which benefits an O-line. You can hide some uh, shortcomings of an offensive line with a quicker offensive attack mm-hmm. when they don't have to sustain blocks as much and such. We see that with Clemson. Clemson, not in recent years, but in previous years under Dabo, had kind of underwhelming O-lines, but they were to some degree hidden by the fact that they were able to do things so quickly. Huh. Imagine well, a coaching that. staff that can mask deficiencies huh. of an offensive line. Huh. Huh. It's process, guys. It is time to move on. When we hit the new year, you guys have to hit the new coaching this, staff. This reminds me of like your New Year's resolution mm-hmm. to be should be to forget a man, ah, forget the man named Jimbo, just entirely. I I don't even have to mention the man named Jimbo. I just have to say the name that shall the not job be as a coach is to mask deficiencies, and it was not done last year. I'm just stating a fact. I don't care who makes it. The play is just obsessed with being perfect. I thought we processed it. See, this reminds me, in the beginning of the year, Chris told us he wasn't going to be salty, he wasn't going to be in a bad mood, he was a new changed man was going to be happy. And about like one week on... that was completely... I did, I said that constantly, and I wasn't trying to poop on your parade, I just, I just, you know, let's let's call it what it is. This is all going to kind of manifest itself into Chris, like, in in February, being like, F you, Jimbo! (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm good, seriously. I'm moving on, I'm truly looking forward to the spring... Because it's going to be a period of learning for players, media, Willie, all of us. It's going to be it's going to be interesting to watch. It is going to be a period of learning. We're all excited about that terminology, um, execution, mm-hmm. all of that. No, it's fine. But summer's going to be fun when there's like nothing to do. We're actually going to be able to study stuff and learn new things. Now it's going to be fun. All right, Newton Knoll, uh, three questions here. Oh God. All right, we may not read all the Newton. Sorry. Are Taggart's lack of second half adjustments real or a result of the net and her Oregon fans and media? What we. If so, how do you fix them? Well, I do want to talk about the Oregon media has not been super thrilled with Willie Taggart, right? And the way he left, like, there's certainly some kind of... I was busy covering uh, FSU last year, so I don't know about halftime adjustments. Like, I well, I, I do have I don't numbers. have a good answer for that. Um, but, I man, there, there's some, some saltiness coming from the West Coast. I know that much with regards to Willie. So there's one guy... I'll say that. Uh, this is a question I did go over and read um, before, so I actually did do some research on this one. Uh, who is it? 
over at fish fishduck.com, which is a pretty cool website for Oregon football. Like they do a lot of like X and O stuff. And it was neat. I remember reading that when FSU played them in the uh, Rose Bowl a couple years ago, but uh, they had a editorial from a retired college coach, Ken Woody, who uh, he lives in Eugene now, I think. And uh, he's coached at Oregon. He's coached a lot of places over on the West coast and in the PAC 12. Uh, but it just did not pull any punches and said, uh, basically he won't be missed. Uh, it, "Quote unquote," for there he will not be missed. Uh, talked about Willie Taggart's character. They didn't like the way he left. Uh, didn't like the way he interacted with media sometimes. I mean, it just kind of sounds like he's a college football coach. Like, I, I don't know. Uh, maybe you know, he's not going to be perfect. But in terms of the the adjustments, like yeah, I haven't got enough to watch. Why is your hood on? Air camel. Oh, you're cold. Okay. Um, but in, ter- in terms of adjustments, and, and not like being a good play caller situation, because like, he does call his own offense. Uh, let's see. S and P plus by quarter offensive ranking. First quarter, 7th. Uh, second quarter, 61st. Third quarter, 69th. Fourth quarter, 57th. That was at Oregon this past year. So, so he, he nails it with the script is what that That's about. what it looks like. But, you know, so you want to talk about situationally, uh, their third down S&P Plus rating on offense was 18th nationally, and they did well on third down. Uh, their finishing drive, points per possession trip inside the 40, uh, was top 10. I think it was 8th nationally. Um so, you know, the mixed bag, man. But there, there's evidence that says, like, no, he did do a lot of things well. I mean, they executed in the end zone or in the red zone. Uh, they did well on third down. Uh, but, yeah, like you said, I think the numbers show that, that maybe the script was great and then there was some fall off. But, yeah, man, they it, played without their starting quarterback the for half probably, the year. Yeah, I was going to say the script probably became even more important once the quarterback was injured because, yeah. you know, you, you obviously name a guy a starter because you trust him the most in that mm-hmm. position. And when you lose that – you're going to be able to practice those first 15 whatever plays that you're going to implement, but then it's kind of, you know, going back into the deep part of the playbook and hoping you can execute, and that's not always true with your reserve. You you are far less confident in your second and third guy than your first guy. Which, we saw, which we saw you know, manifest itself this yeah. season at, at Florida State. I mean, it, it does happen. It was interesting looking at Oregon's schedule. Like, oh God, who's the name of the quarterback? What uh, it, Justin Herbert. Her- Herbert. Herbert was Her- Her- the starter. Um, when he was out, like, that was their toughest part of the schedule, and he played, it was their easier game. So it was really kind of a tough team and performance to evaluate. Like, I would like to see what they did against, you know, the, the middle tier of teams. But anyways, um, I, I don't think it's fair to say that he doesn't make adjustments. He clearly has done some things well um, as a play caller. But uh, anyways, we move on. I'm not going to get all three because I don't think we're going to have enough time to get them all in. All right, let's see. Jess163 asked, do the coaches leaving early, i.e. Brewster, Graham, potentially Kelly, um, who he's interviewing with uh, Colorado State, mm-hmm. um, allow for immediate hire once the uh, – I don't know why this whole thing isn't showing. Uh, once the replacement coach has finished his obligations, currently you have no tight end or running back coach on staff, correct? Uh, yeah, you're able to have currently nine on-field assistants on your staff. At any given time, you can have nine. So if – Two have left and you have seven. You could hire an eighth and a ninth. I checked with somebody who works within the uh, football program who's an off-field assistant and the quality control type mm-hmm. and asked if he was going to be, like, you know, moved up and the ability to go on the road and coach on – and at this point he hadn't been told that. But as we mentioned, Willie's basically been on the road constantly outside about one day since mm-hmm. he took the job. So even if that was going to happen, I'm not sure it would have been implemented. Um but, you know, once Oregon's bowl game comes and goes and FSU tries to make new hires, you know, whether it's Telly Lockett who was at Oregon State or Pimpleton or Woody or Levitt or somebody else, if they're free at that point, yeah, they can come and be an on-field. But I don't expect them to be for the bowl. I don't think no, – I think the coaching staff for the bowl will be what remains at FSU with assists coming from the guys that have worked under those guys. You know, mm-hmm. Brewster had a GA that worked under him or a quality control coach 
or an offensive graduate assistant. You know, it's a mix. Um, some guys have QCs, some have GAs. So I think you see those guys take on more prominent roles. And at the end of the day, you're running what you've practiced all year, and you mm-hmm. hope the players can do it, and you, you circled wagons as much as possible. It's not – obviously, you'd want a full array available if you could have it, but that won't be the case. Yeah. It is what it is. It, this happens for many schools in this time of year, you know. Oregon has it. What I think people have not fully understood. Oregon has it in their contracts to their coaches yeah. that they have to coach to the ball game. FSU does not have that within their contracts, so that's why you've seen Jay and Tim be able to depart. All right. Oh, yeah. And like you said, this isn't a unique situation of Florida State. It's unique to this program because they haven't seen you know because they we haven't seen this kind of turnover in a while. But this is something that happens nationally all the time, uh, and you make do. All right, this is from AZ01. Uh, should we temper expectations for uh, this year's recruiting class? So do you guys think the early signing period hurts schools when you have coaching changes? So, Chris, this is all. Yeah, I think the early signing period is awful for schools going through change. I'll go back to the example I used earlier of comparing it to hoops, where hoops, it's done in a very stable period for coaching, and football, it's done in about the most unstable period. So, obviously, that hurts schools like FSU and others going through a transition. Um, I think the main thing is if you're Taggart and the assistants that will remain here and people that are coming in here, you push for a kid to wait till February and hope he does. And if he doesn't, you probably weren't going to get him anyway. So it kind of is what it is. I think in FSU's situation that a majority of the kids that they're truly interested in that they didn't just get on in the last week, you know, that are new targets, I think most of them are listening to that kind of advice and willing to show some patience. So in the end, I think FSU will be okay. Early signing period for FSU – I don't expect it to be grand or super impressive. You know, if they can get 10 in the bag, locked in, signed, that would be mighty impressive. If they have 10 to 15 guys that are fairly locked in, whether they put ink to paper or not, that's basically where they want to be. I would say that's kind of the target range for them. Okay. I mean, this they've had so much room. They had to make up for so much of what's been basically not a ton of recruiting for the last month and a half, two months. Yeah, so their, a ton their of class has been up. essentially sliced in half, some of those by their choice and some of those by the players' mm-hmm. choices. But some of those guys, I believe, might come back in the fold. You know, Jay Sean Corbin. Yeah. Because um, that's someone uh, that Oregon was recruiting as right. well. Right, Antoine Green's yeah, another one. They, were in, they went by to see those two guys yesterday. Mm-hmm. I think there's a possibility that come late January, early February, they're back in the fold. But I don't expect them to be in the fold come December 20th. All right. NC Knowles 5 asks, can you talk about patience? Nope, because you guys don't listen anyways. Uh, T. Bonner I'm preaching two. it from the mountaintop. I responded in the thread I, to that I see one. that one down here. <laughs> I'm going to give you an upvote. <laughs> Ooh, that's plus three upvotes for that. Yeah, I think, I, was, I think I was the plus one. <laughs> you upvoted yourself? No, 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 no. I upvoted him. Oh, no, I was upvoting you. No, I, I don't use my alternative screen name to upvote myself. You have Come a, on, oh, I just no. use those for downvotes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, T-Bonner 2 basically asked about the uniform change um, and asked, is there any chance, uh, change of the overall look of the uniform? I'm going to guess no. Bob, I'll throw that over to you. I would say only subtle changes. I'm sure that FSU wants to keep the brand the way they have it. Whether you like that or not, I think that's the way you're stuck with it. Now, do players want to see alternative um, jersey combinations where Jimbo didn't want to do the all-black, for example, or the all-garnet? Yeah, I think we'll see Willie Tar- Taggart being much more open to those kind of um, you know, combinations being used. But all of a sudden, is Nike going to come in and, and show FSU something just crazy like Oregon did? I don't see that happening, no. at least in year one, maybe down the road. What, yeah. if, what if the helmet looked like Cimarron's head? Like literally had a horse head on top. How freaking intimidating would that be coming out of Tana? Like, would it 
be like a really. It would be like a horse head. It on seems top like of the it would be like aerodynamically that would. I mean, if you're gonna well. do it, do it big. Just maybe for the offensive lineman, you know, they have like the the concussion little helmets on, just yeah, like the, for them the to padded yeah, helmets, exactly the exoskeletons. Yes, use that as kind of just for the for the guys in the trenches. The bubble wrap as well. That would be too many. They all just start. Going, rawr, rawr. All right, we're getting off-focus. We're, I mean, we're bad at this sometimes. Right. Renegade, no, no, off-focus is fine. It's a podcast. Just speed through it, people. Um, Renegade Knowles, 82, four-part question. Let's see uh, what, what players are moving on. It's, I haven't read down this far yet. What players are moving on, processed, and to where? Malik Jackson of Bethune-Cookman was mentioned. Yep. Purified, presumably done. There's going to be a lot of uh, turnover, I think, more than we've seen in previous years. I think we'll actually see processing. Uh, They'll also be the guys that don't believe they fit. That's what I'm saying. There's going to be guys that, that won't want to be, be here. I mean, Brock Rubel has moved on. Um, Maven Saunders. Saunders has transferred already. I mean, that's one of the names that we know of. Uh, there's guys that are graduating. I know Bob's working on that list right now um, that would then be able to be graduate transfers somewhere. Do you want to mention those names, the guys that it could be? This is more speculative. Adam Torres is one of those, I believe, that Bob And that would be a name there. that, if he did, would make sense. Um, Jonathan Vickers is a junior, has a year of experience, but he's graduating. I mean, that's a Jimbo special if he can graduate transfer uh, somewhere. Fred Jones, but hard to see him transfer. No, I wouldn't. Yeah, he's, he's a legacy, legacy kid. Yeah, these are just he's a productive player. Just names. Too. That, uh, who else? There's about one or two. Wally more. May. He I won't did, go I anywhere. Don't think he goes they anywhere. want him. I think. I think it's a group of of walk-ons who are graduating. It's a group of seniors who yeah. eligibility is expired. But there are a couple guys who had that redshirt season, and they're you know now wrapping up their degree a little bit early. And yeah, then, and I think the other thing to look at is I think a guy like Auden Tate and Patrick, for example, are more likely to go pro with a coaching change. Yeah, and they're still guys. Because they don't know what they're walking into next year. You know, with Auden, I've always kind of had the caveat of if the shoulder has to get cleaned up, maybe he comes back because that hurts the pre-draft process. But I think it's more likely those two go pro than maybe a month ago. I agree. I think – Especially like a Jock West Patrick had the knee stuff go on, and like man, you go ahead, you got enough film. Yeah, you're a running back. You only have so much tread on the tire. I mean, he, I don't, I don't think he does enough as a senior to push himself into like a second or third round draft pick. You go ahead, you get taken in the seventh, sixth round, uh, make a roster. Plenty of guys do it. Uh, he's a hard worker. I mean, look at Carlos Williams did, who wasn't a particularly hard worker, and was able to carve out a niche for himself in Buffalo before he ate himself and suspended himself out of the league. Uh, but a guy like Jock with Patrick probably doesn't do that. You go ahead, you get your second contract, bada beam, bada boom, like go do that. That makes sense. That being said, man, I think they'd really like to have Jock with Patrick. Willie Taggart talked about the two running backs during his press conference. You saw what they did with Royce Freeman, a big back this year. That would be good for them and it kind of gives them like a triple option type of vibe. But anyways, I'm rambling. Typical. <laughs> Latest on 2019 recruits. Uh, we won't get into that Jaylen right now. Jalen Curry decommitted. Yeah, he asked about The rest Willie. of them were pretty solid um, as far as I know. Akeem Dent, I think, wants to get to know Willie. He's one guy that's voiced that to me. But they're focused on 18 right now. 19's yeah. on the back burner. How's the vibe of the team overall as they see Willie, tackle, Willie Taggart do work? I mean, we haven't really gotten enough. The little bit I've conversed with guys that I know well from the recruiting process that are on the current team is they they like the dude. Players like players were excited. They're, parents they're were at excited. Ease with them, yeah, and they're excited and they're looking forward to it. They're in a honeymoon phase too, though. All right, this is Seminole Fan 03. Uh, do you see Willie Taggart trying to strengthen the relationship between FAMU and FSU football with possible game against him in the future? Um, I'd be surprised by that. I would too. As far as a game, between I mean, they the have two. a coach named Willie now too. Yep, and Quincy Legend. Willie Summons. Yep. Willie's all around. Uh, is Willie Taggart a fan of satellite camps? If so, do you see FSU making this a priority? I'm trying to think, Chris. Has he done the satellite? Josh would be best ass at. I Sorry. believe he did. I know Harbaugh did a satellite with him down there because I actually ran into Harbaugh that day at Saddlebrook uh, for Corey Dowler 
old former co-worker, mm-hmm. his wedding. Um, so Willie's obviously open to it, but I don't know. I mean, it comes back to one of those ad- old adages that we always talk about where the best thing for FSU is to get a kid on campus at FSU. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but their now, facilities are terrible. Why would you he, want to bring a kid on? 12th best in the nation. Didn't you look at the slideshow? I clicked through um, three of them. <laughs> Oregon was number one. The only thing they're she- missing is crystal ball trophies. Um, well, they have a crystal but ball coach. I think if FSU did satellites, they would probably go out west. You know, maybe if he wants to recruit Callie and Chris Washington just refused to give areas. me a high five. Of a I'm bitch. moving on. I thought you were happy. If they do satellites, I think out west would be the possibility. That makes um, sense. You know, if they truly want to recruit California, and I don't know how much that will be part of the footprint that they try to lay. I still think the FSU footprint is still going to be Florida, Georgia, to a slight degree, Alabama and some Louisiana, mm-hmm. and then hopefully the Odell area of the Virginia and stuff like that. I still think at the end of the day, that's where they're going to try to pull the most talent from. Willie does have connections out west, obviously from Oregon, but when he was at Stanford, I think he recruited the Riverside area of California. Uh, sure. That's what his bio said, but man, I don't know what's Riverside. That's that's like L.A.? I don't know my Cali geography. All right, all right. Um, moving on. See, this is the part where I haven't read most of these questions. We're obviously not really prepared, but I think some people may find this interesting. Again, just speed through it if you're not enjoying this. Uh Get what you pay for. It's a free podcast. Uh, Quentin C., which FSU players or position group will potentially benefit most? Sorry, Quentin, we already answered that. Running backs. (laughs) And linebackers, because they'll actually be coached by somebody who's capable. All right, let's see. Vibe. Oh, boy. Uh, Rumor control. I think you should address rumors for the present and recent past. For example, shortly before and after Jimbo left, there was a rumor that he wanted to fire coaches last year and was blocked from doing so. Uh, That that rumor pertained to Lawrence Dossie. I heard that rumor. I poked and prodded regarding that rumor. I never got anything that I would say made it, you know, verified it, that made it true. So I don't know how much of that was true, how much of that was false, and, you know, that, that's basically what it boils down to, was that was supposedly the one person he wanted to run off out of town. Yeah, and, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, if he wants to make changes to the program, he can make changes to the program. Like, the, I, that, I don't buy a whole, whole a lot of that. Yeah, and... Yeah, at the end of the day, if he does, yeah, he, he was loyal to a fault to his coaches. Yes, yeah, as we're seeing with some of the hirings he's yeah. making. Yep. Yeah. So, I don't know. Were there any other rumors? I don't want to get into rumors. What did he ask about any? No, I just said it. Just, just talk about just rumors. I mean, there's always rumors, and the truth of most rumors is that they're somewhere in the middle. Some are true, some are false, and some are kind of you know bits and pieces. I think with the wanting to run a coach out of town last year, I think there was a thought process possibly to it. Maybe even a discussion, but I don't think there was any jumping on a table and like you got to do this or I'm not doing you know coaching next year. Yeah, I don't think it reached that point because that's one of those things where I think it would have taken much less time for that rumor to kind of come out. That rumor came out more so in October, November of the season than it ever existed prior to the season kicking off. All right, let's see, Jay Simonovic. <sighs> Assuming we get Levitt, what type of defense do we run? I personally thought our athletes were built for a more creative front than we usually displayed. I mean, yeah, being creative up front is kind of a good thing. Uh, I've talked about this before. I think Charles Kelly is a better defensive coordinator than a lot of people give him credit for. I don't think you're maximizing, I guess, what you could have at that you know position at Florida State. Bobby, you're shaking your head. Do you agree with, with that? I think he got kind of a bad rap. But I do think there's ability to uh, upgrade, and you need to upgrade. If you're Florida State, you're not maximizing your full potential with him. Yeah, I think Willie kind of said he didn't know if they would want to be a 3-4 or 4-3. I think clearly yeah. he knows what he wants to do, but it's also finding the right defensive assistance, the guys that he knows he can bring in. Is it Levitt? Is it somebody else? I think we're going to see 
maximizing potential of a lot of players. Yeah. You know, I, I think I think Brian Burns is a guy who should have a really really good junior season for one. Um, Didn't Levitt? I mean, when he was out last, I worked when I covered UCF. Like he was a four three guy, right? They, they were bringing in that Selvi, they had JPP. Don't they, mix with a true four man front or going yeah. with the War Daddy in the middle and three four front. Mm-hmm. Jim Love, Jim's kind of a linebacker coach at heart, like mm-hmm. the heart of hearts. He loves really athletic linebackers. So I think with, I think truthfully the scheme's going to fit what they have from that's the personnel. What that, that's what I, was I don't think say. they're going to get stuck on it. I think they're going to run multiple schemes, truthfully. Mm-hmm. I think FSU, to some degree, is built for a 4-3, but has enough people that are capable in a 3-4 to fit every role. They did that this year, too. I mean, they, yeah. they, that's every almost every single college is going to be adaptable, and that it's going to be more prototypes. Like, who are they recruiting? You mentioned rangy athletic linebackers. Like, I think you're probably going to see more I think more you're going to see them much being much better at basically timing blitzes and getting home on blitzes. I think that's going to be the biggest change in the defense. They're going to do a better job of kind of – Clogging up the middle like they did this year. They were very good on the interior of the defensive line this year. But I think the edge rush, the pressure off the edge, and I'm not talking solely DNs, I'm talking outside backers and such, is going to be where you see a vast improvement. And Levitz has a really good tra- track record when he was at Colorado. Like what he did with that defense yeah, was impressive. Mike McIntyre. Yep. Um, and then at Oregon, I mean, he took them from one of the worst defensive program or teams in the country to like a middle tier, above average one, like in one season. So he's going to be good and be able to maximize. And, and I think you're going to see, I mean, honestly, like a lot of plug and play. Like what Florida State did was recruit long, lengthy athletes all over the place. I mean, they want a tall, long cornerback for the most part. They got that. And that's something that Levitt's going to, like, it's going to work. Uh, whoever the defensive coordinator is is going to have a lot of options to to play with. Um, FSU versus the world. Uh, let's see. Over under on how many Justin Field questions you guys will receive until he signs LOA? Ask Josh. I mean, that's Josh's that's baby, Josh's as I like baby. to say. It is. It is. All right. Well, I, I think Justin Field signs with Georgia. I think that's probably a safe bet. Yes. Sisters going there for softball. Family's comfortable with it. Justin's comfortable with it. I get they have a crowded, talented quarterback room. But at the end of the day, I just don't see him flipping. Uh, what, if George, what if Georgia like wins the national championship with a freshman, true freshman quarterback? Like, yeah. Saying this year? Yeah. Yeah. And but I, don't, I don't think that ha- it's not out of realm of possibility, obviously, but it's not going to be because of their quarterback. It's not because no, their defense is much I understand that, but how are you going to be a, They can run the ball. How are you going to be defending national champion with a guy who was a true freshman that won it for you? And then I'm of the opinion Justin Fields is a guy that's going to win a national title in college regardless of where he goes because I think he's really – an incredibly talented player. And I, I think he ends up at Georgia, too. I mean, I think that's probably, what, 95 99% likelihood. I mean, that's that's going to happen. Um, we get a bunch of questions on Justin Fields. I think Josh might be praying that he signs early, <laughs> just to put it to bed. We just got a but text that, from Josh. When's the dead period begin? Check Chris's. I primed this, you man. You primed the shit primed out of it. it. Dead period starts Monday. Uh, Lathius? Lathius? Sounds biblical. It's like Morpheus. It's like, yeah. I would like to hear some of your about some young coaches that may be worth a look uh, for the staff, especially on the O line. None of the names brought up seem to be great candidates. Well, I mean, how do you know? Just curious as to who the young guns are uh, that you all may have uh, been exposed to that we should keep an eye on. Oh, I mean, who? Oh. You know, I, I don't. I'm kind of weird with O line coaches. I obviously was very cemented in on my boy from Stanford who got the Rice head coaching job. Um, as being kind of the dude I loved. Bloomgren. Yeah, Yeah, Mike Bloomgren, former FSU. Um, I I don't know. That's one of those things. I've truthfully kind of butted out some of the coaching stuff and left it to Josh and Brendan 
they're both comfortable with it. Josh, especially, that's kind of his thing. He enjoys it. Yeah, so. don't pass that on. You know, I, as a uh, line coach, I tell you guys about. I haven't worried about. It. I've been chasing <laughs> recruits for the last seven to ten days for the most part. So I don't know. That's one of those that I'll uh, I'll do some research and maybe get back on the message board. Ask, it, ask in the next chat on the message board. We'll have one before Christmas. Maybe. Was a Larry Scott's a name, right? That's, yeah, Larry's uh, a fairly that, younger. Uh, name. He's forty. Yeah, uh, from from Central Florida area, Sebring. Um, but I, mean, I don't know. I would have I, that needs more thought for me than. Uh, that's, what, that's, what, that's what I'm saying. We haven't gotten down to that. So, like I said, some of these are we weren't as prepared, but yeah. Knowles twenty four seven ID last podcast. Brendan, my name spelled correctly and uh, masculine form, which is great. Said some of us annoy him. Well, that's true. I'd like him to name names. What am I, like, Gestapo? I'm not going to name names. And then not a topic, but I'd like to uh, Chris to give Brendan a noogie. No, there's a video somewhere of Chris slapping me in the face when I was being particularly neurotic uh, earlier this uh, this football season. I had lost my recorder. I made everyone look for it. It was something I was just just besides myself over. I had a story I was trying to write where I had the quotes. Talked about it for probably three hours. So I couldn't believe I lost my recorder as we're getting up to leave. Uh, I heard the recorder playing. It was in my back- backpack the entire time. Chris slapped me right in the face. So that does exist, but I told him he could because I needed it. Uh, but there's a lot of you guys who annoy me. Most twenty four seven ID. You're not one. You kind of get what we're doing here. So um, who would win in a fight though between Taggart and Jimbo was the second question. That's actually a really good question. I let Bob handle that one. Taggart's got ten years on him. I think he's got a little bit more uh, mobility. I I, I kind of like yeah, Willie. uh, I like Willie's fire. I'm gonna go Jimbo. Don't mess with crazy. No fan. <laughs> 1210, I'd like to know about differences in Jimbo and <laughs> Willie's philosophies. Uh, I think coaching, not fighting. And how they want to run a program, recruiting, managing, hiring, practices, off-season, etc. Uh, this is broad for a reason. Take it and run with it, Bree. Oh, fuck. And so someone did. All right. Well, we I'll, almost I'll got through on that one. Damn it. I think Jimbo is very much a one-voice guy. Very, uh, like, king of the mountain, you know, buck stops here type of guy. And he think, said he's not a tyrant. I think Willie is much more of a open-floor we're going to do it like I want to do it, but I'm going to have a lot of people that want to do it how I want to do it, and I'm going to allow them to have say in it. And mm-hmm. those people are going to have voices. They're going to be vocal. They're going to be able to talk to the media. They're going to be able to you know, have a voice with the players. They're not going to be kind of voted over on Saturday on the sideline by the head coach. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably going to be the biggest difference. Um, I think it's also going to be with Jimbo. I think the players were kind of given a very loose rope, especially here in recent years, yeah. especially this year. I think with Willie, it's going to be my way or the highway. Not in a rude or difficult or abrasive manner, but it's going to be clearly established from the word go. There's going to be more accountability on his side. I think he's already kind of started to implement that a little bit from what we've been told. And I think um, we'll see that with his strength and condition. Which, no, that's, yeah, which is healthy. Um, I think that's a healthy way to do it. Uh, we said before on the podcast is don't hire the exact opposite of your ex. Don't hire the exact you know parallel to your ex. You know the exact same. Um, you want something kind of in between. There's a lot of similarities between Willie and, and Jimbo in that they're both former college quarterbacks. Offensive minds are going to call their own plays. Uh, can recruit the heck out of Florida. Uh, can recruit in general. Uh, really come from good, really great coaching trees. So, so there's a lot of things I think that were attractive about Jimbo Fisher. That made him an excellent coach, continue to make him a really good coach. Uh, when he's at his peak, he's top five coach in the country, top three maybe when, when he's got the pieces he wants and needs, and he's, he's excellent. Uh, where they're different, we've talked about this before, but you know, as this, this topic is being brought up, um, Willie Taggart is more malleable. He is willing to change for the betterment of, of what he thinks the program needs to, to do. 
that didn't happen a whole lot under Jimbo Fisher. I think that's when you when with that press conference, that introductory press conference that Willie Taggart had, it was almost. I mean, he just went down a line of things. That I think Florida State fans had been begging for, talking about the lethal simplicity, the war daddies on defense, just empowering people to play fast and play fearless. Um, yeah, he, he was. He, I think he's hit on a lot of things that that people want to see the modernization for Florida State uh, schematically, and I think that's going to be a, a difference in approach. I'm trying to think of what else, Bob. Do you have anything else as far as? similarities differences between the two that that are that are glaring so far so far no I, I i feel like he's going to be very much open to not just doing what he wants to do but listening to people and getting feedback i think the the relationship between him and odell Hagens appears to be very strong and we feel like odell's going to be on the staff and that's going to be mm-hmm. a good bridge to the first year with taggart he's going to help in in communicating the message to the players and it's not going to be Hey, Willie's new guy. He's going to do this and that. It's going to be kind of, I think, an open door policy where I think truly we'll see seniors and juniors as veterans be able to go into Willie's office and have an open line of communication as far as, hey, um, these are some things that we would like to see you do, um, maybe to make things more fun. You know, we've talked a lot in the last couple of weeks about how last season, 2017, was not fun. ULM game was was different, had a different feel. It was more fun. I think that's going to be something very different is that Willie's going to be a fun guy to play for, mm-hmm. and you'll see those results on the field. Yeah, I do think there's going to be, again, it's about empowering people to have fun, um, open lines of communication, like you said, Bob. You know, it was kind of you know Jimbo's way or the highway for, to a large large extent. Um, you know, not, not completely black and white, but mostly, I mean, he was kind of, he was in charge and he wasn't afraid to let people know it. Uh, I think everything we've gotten from indications of Willie Taggart is he will be more open. It'll be hard to be less open than than previously, but uh, I think that sense of relief should have a positive effect on not just the football program, the entire athletic program in general, and just the vibe around the university. I think that makes a difference. I think we'll see that tangible this as early as this season. I don't know how that materializes in the wins and loss and record. None of us do. We'll see a lot of moving parts there, obviously. But but I think that there is going to be, like you said, fun would be the key word, Bob. I think that makes sense. All right, that's all the questions we had. We This was supposed to be like a 45-minute podcast. We're hitting about an hour here, so thank you for bearing with us. But the, we did it. the people brought it. They did. They brought And those were, I mean, I thought those were... Pretty good questions uh, for the for the most part. Good broad topics. Some some smaller stuff. Hey, someone called me a mini Bud Elliott the other day. No, um, didn't didn't Josh call you Bud Sinone? Well, he did, but someone on Twitter said I was like a mini Bud Elliott. No, so know. I mean, I, yeah, just, just we're gonna end the I'm, podcast. I'm too. not about that life. I don't I don't keep up with Twitter and whatnot. It's not real life. I, I like Bud. But Everybody knows other. Facebook is what drives the clicks. They do. They yeah, do. Our face true. our Facebook been in fuego the last couple couple weeks. It's been good. Um, all right, anything? I want Chris to end the podcast. I want. I'll start it. You end it, and then but just finish it off because I I can't stick the landing anytime on these. Well, like you mentioned earlier, I think we're gonna have Josh on later this week, and maybe I'll come back in. We'll do a little more recruiting. Yeah, just invite yourself, huh? That will be put to bed a little bit. Recruiting stuff. They'll be into official visits come Friday afternoon. You'll hit quiet period Sunday, dead period Monday, so things will really calm down outside of the kids that are signing early on the 20th. There'll be a little bit of a mad rush to figure out who's doing that. A lot of that's still in transit for FSU. They're still figuring it out. The kids are still figuring it out. So we'll be keeping up with that. We'll probably have a chat next week, so a lot of these questions that we answered today on the thing can be asked again in a chat form, and we'll be able to answer them a little more in depth and whatnot. And that's basically where we're going to go. We appreciate you listening, and, uh, yeah, see you next time. Bye.